You are listening to the Zookeeper Stories Podcast with your host, Matthew Price. The goals of this show are to share the stories of animal care professionals around the world, give advice on how to get to the field, and share information that will help out new zookeepers. One of the most common questions people in our field are asked is, how did you get your job? I hope to shed some light on that question and many more by investigating the origin stories of the people on the front lines of the animal care world, the zookeepers. All right, and we are back with another episode of the Zookeeper Stories podcast. Once again, my name is Matthew Price, and today I have another Matt on the uh, on the show. How's it going today, Matt? I'm having a great day. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, I actually work with Matt up at Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle several, actually, it's probably six years ago because I've been at San Diego Zoo for six years now, so it's been a while. Um, but uh, when I started there, he was already there, so I became other Matt. <laughs> uh, my, my moniker because there's as you guys know i'm sure matt is a pretty common name so uh, i had to take on that other matt that's fine <laughs> so we're gonna refer to matt mills today as other matt no just kidding um okay so uh you know as we uh go through these podcasts you guys are probably pretty used to the format by now um and so we're gonna start off the same way uh by just by asking mr mills here about um, how he first came to fall in love with animals and at what point uh, in his life did he decide that he wanted to be a zookeeper? All right. Well, uh, when I was a kid, you know, we always had dogs and cats and I had pet rodents of various types and uh, I always enjoyed really taking care of them. And I even liked changing the bedding when I was a kid. So that was a good sign. Uh, I think the thing that really set me off wanting to be a zookeeper was I was watching Reading Rainbow back when I was probably like seven or eight years old with LeVar Burton and they were at the Philly Zoo. And this was probably, this is back in the 80s, probably, probably before the insurance companies ruled the world. And the keepers were actually in with the tigers, running around with them and playing with them. And I saw that, and I was like, that is definitely what I want to do when I get older. Um, so that and my aunt, who signed me up for zoo books when I was a kid. Do you remember those? Where it would be like yeah, yeah. an issue on like wild cats, and then you yep. flip through it. And then like the middle of it was the skeletal structure, the muscular structure, and then like what the cat looks like. So between... Reading Rainbow and my aunt signing me up for every single zoo books in the world, uh, I think that's kind of what set me off on my path to be a zookeeper. And as I grew up, like I never really wanted to do anything else. I went to college. Um, I didn't have a backup plan, so I was just dead set on being a zookeeper. And luckily, it all worked out well for me. That's awesome, man. So uh, you said Philly Zoo. So did you grow up in Philly then? I thought you were based more in Oregon growing up. Oh, no. Um, the episode of Reading Rainbow, they were at the Philly Zoo. Oh, I got you. Okay, okay. That so, LeVar Burton, man, he was uh, he was one of my heroes growing up, for sure. Yeah, between that and Jordy LaForge. Like, yeah, yeah. You'd, that you'd, guy. you'd watch him about books, and then later you'd watch him, uh, you know, shoot space aliens. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, cool. So, uh, talk a little bit. So that's about your younger life. So you knew pretty early, like, like, you know, I don't even know how old, but like elementary school age, would you say that you were ready to, you already wanted to be a zookeeper? Yeah. My mom tells me like when I was in like third and fourth grade, I, I already knew I was going to be a zookeeper. That's crazy. I, I definitely did not know, know that early for sure. Um, so, uh, just to go back to you seeing people in exhibits with tigers now, uh, <laughs> you said that's why you wanted to become a zookeeper, but now that you are a zookeeper, you probably know that you don't want to go in with tigers. What's your philosophy on that now? Well, um, that's 
funny story. My first zoo was a tiny zoo. Um, we had 30 cats and three and a half employees. And I worked there for two years. And my first week there, I, uh, I started helping raising snow or sorry, tiger cubs. And they were about six weeks old. They, uh, the, they, they were accidentally born in the sanctuary. So our place had room for them. So we accepted them, even though things got kind of crowded with them. But, uh, it was either they were like put down. So luckily my boss at the time was agreed, agreed to t- take them. But, uh, six, six, one, six weeks old, I already was like starting going with them and, and feeding them. And at that age, they're not going to do a lot. Well, I worked there for two years. And on my last day, I was still able to go in with those tigers. Yeah, looking back on it, that was probably an insane experience. Um, the guy that ran the place, he'd been working with cats for, for 30 years. He actually started out uh, doing traveling shows. He would do medieval fairs and things like that. And I met him at a at a fishing show in, in Oregon. And I was talking to him, and he's like, well, you should come volunteer at the park, which was in southern Oregon. And I started doing that on weekends. And then, uh, I was gone one weekend for my final exam or when I was my senior year, my last term. And he called me up halfway through the weekend. He's like, I need you to work here. Like, we're just too busy and you've shown your competence. So you've got a job when you, as soon as you can get down here. So finals, another week later, I packed up my stuff. I moved down to Southern Oregon and I started working there two years. That's, that's pretty insane. I mean, I've been in with cubs before, tiger cubs and jaguar cubs. Uh, lion cubs but typically not past like i don't know like a few months <laughs> yeah we had uh our last jaguar uh cub uh got a little bit uh a little bit aggressive once he got to be about about three months old so we were like okay it's probably time to get out of here once they started like grabbing onto your legs and stuff uh but uh so would you do that now would you still go <laughs> no <there>? not <laughs> at all not even I, a little okay, bit like to me like i feel like if the best trained tigers in the world with Siegfried and Roy, if they're going to snap, yeah. then I feel like, like any, any carnivore can do that. So to me, for me, it's just not like worth it at all. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny, like right as I was leaving that place when the Siegfried and Roy attack happened. And, uh, I wouldn't say it was a wake up call. Cause I always knew in the back of my head, that was always a potential, but it was definitely a sign that it was the right time to move on. Right. Like, I had worked with these cats probably every single day for two years. And I, I can't say I knew their behavior all the way, but we, I definitely could like recognize when things were starting to get, they were getting too excited. Yeah. And with them, it wasn't like they were going to try to kill me all the time as they wanted to play all the time. Right. And play, you know, play as practice. Play and also, uh, you know, play is great, but you don't weigh 250 pounds or 300 pounds like they did. Right. <laughs> presumably yeah. at that age. So, uh, yeah, that's a play behavior from some somebody with a paw that weighs twenty pounds and smacks you aside the head. Yeah, it was uh, definitely the right time to get out and never yeah. do that again. Right now, uh, it's funny. Our jaguar cub right now is uh, we a few months ago we separated them from the mom, uh, and generally, you know, this is for the audience, not necessarily for you. But jaguars they typically stay with their moms for about a year, a year and a half. So we cut them off almost right a year on the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh mostly because our female jaguar is a little 80 pound spitfire like she's only 80 pounds so she's kind of tiny but she's like the meanest cat i've ever worked with in my life like you go in there like a late keeper shift and you just hear snarling and growling and you you hope you hope that uh she's secure <laughs> and uh and, and, but anyway uh so her cub uh you know when cubs are cubs are cubs they play and jump around jump on mom and stuff 
but now that cub is 145 pounds and mom is 80 pounds. So once uh, she he got close to uh, the same size as her, she was like, "Nah, you're you're done, you're out." Done. And now, like, they even with they're in the same building together, like she even like without visual access, she will just scream and scream and scream at at, at him. Well, meanwhile, he's like calling, like, "Hey, mom, I want I want to I want to see you." So oh, it's kind of sad. Yeah, that's sad. Uh, but I, but I would I would uh, I would rather be in with like our four hundred pound lion than that little eighty pound jaguar. She's just terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've I've worked with a couple sets of groups of jaguars, and I met your male jaguar, and that's the only jaguar I've ever met that didn't look at me like it was planning my death. Dude, our male, our the the, the father, the the kid is 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 closer to the male too, closer to dad than mom. But our uh, male guapo, he is like the nicest cat I've ever met. Like he never yeah. tries to yell, he never yells at you, he never like. Uh, I don't know. He just never does anything aggressive at all. He comes up and solicits scratches and stuff like that. You know, like it's such a weird, such a weird Jack. Um, he also is weird in the fact that he doesn't really climb trees. He doesn't really climb. Like we set up these big platforms for him and he won't go up there. Like if we hide food up there, he won't find it. Hmm. Like we have to cut the, we have to cut the meat off ribs for him because he won't like eat the meat off of the rib. Like he won't eat his food if we don't cut it off. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, but he's such a, such a good cat. So. Uh, we, we put up with it. Uh, okay, so uh, I, right after college, we went. We went. What was the name of that place? Your first job? That you uh, it was at? called Great Cats World Park. It's in Great Southern Cats Oregon. World Park. And then, so you worked uh, two years there. Uh, so what came next? Well, uh, I was kind of dreading this question because this is where I feel like a total fraud Uh-oh. as a zookeeper. Um, everybody you've talked to has probably had like a difficult road they had to go through to get their first like true zookeeper job. I've I applied for two jobs as an AZA facility, and I've gotten both of them on a single interview each. So you are I've, the golden boy. I've been extremely lucky. Yeah, I I know that. I I hear I felt so guilty hearing all the stories <laughs> from your past episodes, and I was like, oh man, what am I gonna say when I get to this? Like uh, Ashley, who had to work in D and G for for eight years before uh, she got her her shot, you know. Or your friend that worked at Disney at night as a bouncer, and then went oh, to yeah, school yeah. in Gainesville and back to Disney again. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't imagine yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I with you. Uh, so anyway, so then the next place I presume was Woodland Park Zoo. Yeah, um, when I was at the cat park in Southern Oregon, um, it was basically an internship. Like it was a paid job, but I was losing money every month, and I just got to the point where I had to tell them I can't afford to work here anymore, and they were like, "Well, we can't afford to pay you anymore." as it tends to be, and uh, so I said goodbye, and I went up to Seattle because I had friends and family up there, and I was just intending to go up there and, and just kind of like regroup and, and figure out what I want to do next, and I was working at a furniture store, making deliveries around town, and a, a job position came up, and I applied for the job position, and probably two or three weeks later, I got a call from one of the managers, and they were like, yeah, we had a temp keeper come in and work a couple months, and then she got a really lucrative offer somewhere else, and we need somebody right away, and you have experience. And I came in into my interview, and I started like a week after that. So you moved up to Seattle though without a prospect. You actually, you actually quit the the cat place without uh, without even having a, a job lined up, though, right? Yeah, I figured I could make more money working at uh, like a Red Robin or something in Seattle, where I had friends and family, than I could at this this small cat bar. Like they did the best they could. Yeah, and all yeah. the money they had went to the cats, so they didn't have much to pay employees with. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's that's the the, the toughest part of this job, especially when you're first starting out. Uh, unless you get a job at a 
at a larger zoo is is the pay. I, my even at larger zoos, like my first job at San Francisco Zoo as an intern, uh, you know, I was making like seven fifty an hour. You know, mm-hmm. like like in San Francisco, which is basically the most expensive place in the country to live. Uh, so yeah, it's tough, man. So uh, I, I worked a second job there. So it sounds like you had so you didn't have it super easy. You had to do deliver some furniture and. And, for like two for a little bit, work, but you were you did actually work at Red Robin too for like part time, didn't you? Yeah, I did when I was a temp. Um, so Seattle, I think, does their temps a little different than other places do. At Seattle, you you can work two thousand hours over the course of like five years, and they just call you in when they need you. So I didn't. You don't know if you're going to get you know a full forty hour week for a month, or maybe you'll work two days in the entire month. So just to get something else going, I worked at a Red Robin in the evenings and. Yeah, that was an experience. I never want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I, the only uh, the only food service job I've ever done is uh, a Burger King in high school, and then I got held up, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm done with this." Yep. So, uh, not worth it. Uh, yeah, and the the temps. I, I actually, I mean, I got lucky too when I went to Seattle. I moved to Seattle from after working. Well, I had a little bit of a gap between Disney and Seattle. Uh, but, uh, when I got there, I was hired as CT too. And, uh, mostly for the draft feed that happens during the summer there. Um, and then got lucky and had full-time work for most of the time, mm-hmm. uh, for about a year or so. And then all of a sudden 2009 hit budget crisis, no more money, closed night house. Oh yeah. And now, and now, yeah. And then now I have like four to four to eight hours a week and I was like, okay, got to figure something else out. So got lucky and got in San Diego, but, but, uh, no, that's a, that, that is a good place to start. Um, especially, uh, when you're first starting out, cause maybe your hours aren't guaranteed, but at least you're getting paid like a decent living wage. Um, yeah. and you can get into a situation where you do get some full-time hours. Okay. So uh, you have reliable hours there. Like, I mean, like you always know when you're going to get out so you can get a second evening job, whereas some zoos, they might, you might be working until six or seven, eight o'clock at night. And you don't oh, know totally. each week. You don't know which shift you're going to get. You don't know, uh, you know what when you're going to come in that kind of thing. And they were they were always pretty good about setting my schedule, at least giving me, you know, a heads up when they could. You know, obviously mm-hmm. emergency sick calls and stuff like that. But for the most part, the schedule was you had it well in advance to plan another job like that. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, but so so you went from working cats uh, at the cat place, which I've already mm-hmm. forgot the name of. <laughs> great cats worldwide. Uh, great cats worldwide. Give them a little free publicity here. Uh, but, uh, so you went from there to, to Woodland Park Zoo and correct me if I'm wrong, but you started in the Savannah area there where you were giraffes and zebra and stuff like that, correct? Yeah. I'd never worked hoofstock before. I guess I just made a good impression on my interview and they, they set me up there and just like you, um, they had that giraffe feed. They, they were actually starting at my first summer there. It was their first summer of the giraffe feed. So they, okay. they just wanted an extra body around because they knew it was going to take up a lot of time. And, uh, my first day. They just told me to go to the giraffe barn and be there at like eight o'clock in the morning. So at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm like looking around. I don't see anybody coming out. And this woman walks out the door and she's like, hello, can I help you? I'm like, hey, I'm Matt. I'm your new temp keeper, <laughs> which I think I had the same exact experience the next year, except for I was walking out the door and you were standing on the side of the fence saying, hey, I'm Matt. I'm your new temp keeper. Yeah, I, va- I do vaguely remember that. Uh, that's funny. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll talk about, I guess, talk a little bit about your experience there at Willow Park Zoo. Like, did you, uh, did you know at some point you wanted to get back to carnivores or did you, uh, were you pretty happy, like, learning giraffe and, uh, uh, you know, just kind of seeing where it goes? Um, I really just like learning a lot about 
different kinds of animals. I, I do really like cats, and now I really love hoofstock as well. But you put me in front of anything, I, I really like doing it. Like, I started working with dart frogs here, and I never really thought about dart frogs before. And now they're, like, one of my favorite things to work with. And even, even like, the silly stuff, like the little, like, uh, the life support systems for the dart frogs and all that. Like, I never really thought about it before, but now that I'm doing it, I like doing it. That's that's really cool because I I mean I, I think I probably could get there if I was assigned like a primary on that but I remember uh, at Woodland Park Zoo the days where I was not able to be on the savannah I got sent over to like the the rainforest building mm-hmm. those were not my favorite days that building is so <laughs> hot it's, it's so, so freaking hot in there and like I don't know like I have nothing against bird keepers we've had some bird keepers on the show. But that kind of style of work is just not me. Like I remember, I remember doing the first time I was there before I learned all the diets and everything. It took me like two and a half hours to cut yeah. all the food for the diets. You know, like, like that. Something like thirty bowls of, of like diet, and there's like not even forty grams of food in each bowl. Yeah, you're like you're like oh five grams of greens. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I hope the scale is like reasonably <laughs> accurate. Otherwise, you're getting eight grams of a uh, half a gram of, of wax worms. <laughs> yeah, know? and uh, eventually they got this this little device that like you put like an apple in and you just pulled it down to like cut it to the right thing. But oh. when I first started there, like we had to cut like you know for the. Uh, I don't know, for the sun bitterns, we had to cut it in uh, like quarter inch cubes. And then for like these other birds, I had to cut it in like eighth inch cubes. <laughs> like, yep, I remember that too. Oh my gosh. What, what drove me crazy about the rainforest building was that whenever I got pulled there, it almost always seemed to be a day I was scheduled to work the savannah routine, which is you're out in the savannah, you're outside most of the time. And Seattle's not that cold, it's just damp all the time. So I'd wear long johns just to try to stay warm. And I never learned. I would always, I would not bring like a pair of boxes or anything with me to change into. So I'd always be wearing my long johns and get pulled over to rainforest and be dying in that building all day. Oh, long. oh yeah, I definitely had those days for sure, where I was just like swimming in my own sweat. Like, <laughs> it was like, oh, it was horrible. Uh, but anyway, uh, they had like, uh, you know, reptile Nick, Nick, Nick Sutton. I don't even know if he's still there anymore, but he trained me on like the reptile string and stuff. And it took me a little while, but uh, eventually I, I learned to like working with the little little frogs and stuff. Mm. Uh, it was just always like it took me so long to find them all. Yeah, like, you know, like it was like they're they're the size of a dime in some instances, and uh, yeah. Well, Seattle's <laughs> exhibit is huge for the dart frogs. I don't know when yeah. I was there, there were four dart frogs in this exhibit that's like four feet by four feet by eight feet. Yeah, <laughs> like, can we get some more of these? Every uh, every twig, every leg stick, every like, where are you? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so uh, giraffes and stuff, and then uh, you did eventually get back to cats at, at the at the zoo, right? Uh, you worked, went over to the the carnivore building there, and I, I can't even remember off the top of my head everything that was there. Uh, but yeah. uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, like the savanna routine or your savanna area was giraffes and hippos and zebras and and gazelles and other sorts of antelopes and things like that, and uh, and the ostriches. I was I was I was a temp. And after about a year or so being a temp, they hired me full time and I was on Savannah full time and they wanted to cross train me into the cat area and the bear area. They also wanted to cross train me in the gorilla area, but I was too tall. Remember those low doors? I hit, I hit, I hit my back on them all the time. So they didn't want me doing it anymore. Wait, and they said, are you serious? Cause they made me do that. <laughs> I'm just as tall as well, maybe like an inch shorter, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I would hit my doors. spine on the on the door frame all the time. And they decided they didn't want me over there anymore because it was wow. a, a, a OSHA risk. Yeah, <laughs> lucky. 
Not that I don't like gorillas. I like looking at gorillas. I don't think I want to work with gorillas. I, I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. I, I did my time there with Great Apes, and I don't know if I'll ever want, need to do that again. Uh, Vip, the, uh, the one of the silverbacks there, like he freaking hated me. Oh yeah. Like, every time I came in the building, he would charge the mesh and then like just throw all his crap at me. I think like, the I, only I male he liked was Hugh. That's true. That's true. Uh, I, I, I one day I was like, I wonder if I just stand here for a little while, if he'll just like pick up all of the the crap and and, and the bedrooms and just throw it all at me. Then I I don't have to clean up anything. I was already <laughs> all out there. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so uh, you got to the cap building. Yeah, I was I was just cross trained in there, and I'd work there like once, maybe twice a week, maybe even less than that. And then uh, they there was kind of a shuffle. They reorganized some teams. They needed a part time like weekend relief keeper. So I did that for a while, like six months, and then um, I did a good job uh, weighing the cats regularly and adjusting their diets and rotating enrichment. And they liked what they saw and. When somebody retired, they asked me to to be the full time cat keeper. And what did you take care of there, most? We had uh, three, four wild dogs, two lions, two tigers, a very old cloud of leopards, uh, two kias, which were the bane of my existence at that time, uh, eight meerkats, which were a lot of fun, and that was that whole routine. Oh wait, there were two marmosets, and then we traded those out for. That's a pretty good, pretty good variety. Yeah, it was a fun Keep day. It, it kept it, it kind of kept moving all day, but it was really fun. Uh, my best experience in that building was when they sent me to Columbus Zoo to pick up a new female lion. Uh, they flew me out there. I met the lion and her staff, or yeah, her keepers, and then me and one of her keepers flew back to Seattle on FedEx, and it was a great experience. Uh, how careful FedEx was with the animal. Uh, I was never out of eyesight with it. We had like a three-hour layover in Memphis. Everything in FedEx goes through Memphis and back to the next city. Uh, we had a three-hour layover in Memphis. They cleared out an entire hangar just for me, the keeper, and the cat. And uh, we had our own, like, I guess you could call it a concierge. Whenever we need anything, he would go get it and come back with it. It was it was just an awesome experience to fly in the back of a plane with this lion. And, that's uh, really cool. And bring her back to Seattle and take care of her for a year and a half. Yeah, that's cool. I've I've done several animal deliveries, uh, but not uh, not flying. Mostly just driving to like an airport. But like, it's funny. Like you get there, and like the cargo guys like come out with the forklift, and they're like, "Wait, what's in here?" <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, is that's this some fun. kind of dog? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Wait, why is the crate moving? Is it? Is it gonna get out? <laughs> yeah, you should hurry uh, up. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, um, so you brought back a lion, and then she she became your your breeding female, yeah? Yeah, she did, and she's had uh, two sets since then. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you get to raise a, a set of cubs there? No, um, they asked me to go back to the draft area shortly after she arrived. She was there for about a year, and then we moved her moved me back to the giraffe area, and I was primarily on giraffes for about two years before I left Seattle. That's awesome. It was I was uh, was that after uh, Jim retired? Jim gone at that point. Yeah, Jim. Jim semi retired. He came back as a temp. <laughs> Jim. I don't think Jim will ever leave Seattle. Oh, is he still there as a temp? Uh, I w- it would not surprise me to find out. He I remember he was somewhere. trying to go live in Florida with his dad or something. Yeah, he he moved his family out to Florida, and then he still came back in the summers, and he temped for at least two summers. Wow. I don't even know beyond that. Huh. He must have just uh must have just missed it. I guess. I guess so. 
Yeah, he was a he was a fun guy. I don't think he ever even cleared out his desk. I think he's like, I'll see you guys in a couple months. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back. I'll see you guys in a, in a few. I think uh, that's exactly funny. how it went down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, I could when we. I don't know how long this podcast. I don't know how long we've been going for now, but there's so many stories from that draft barn. Uh, I remember uh, right before I left, like were two of my saddest ever moments as a zookeeper. First, we had to had to euthanize Johari, our, yeah. our oldest giraffe. That was sad, but it was a good experience to go through that all. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, like literally, right right before I left uh, was Gertie, the, the hippo. Um, oh yeah. yeah, like Nora was. I think Nora was out. I think her husband had some health issues or something, so she was out. So I was like the primary there. Yeah, uh, for a while. And uh, man, that poor hippo. <laughs> I just remember yeah. the day like she couldn't get out of the pool. Her arthritis uh, just yeah, she just over. like. She just couldn't get out that day, so I was like trying to pump her full of uh, butazone just so she could get out of the pool and into the barn, so we could, you know, do it humanely. And then the setup, the setup for that thing was crazy. We had those exhibit guys, some of the best exhibit guys I've ever worked with, John and them. Uh, yeah. They brought over the skip loader and we rigged up this pulley like over a tree and then through the the little tiny like keeper door. Yeah, and, uh, I remember like being terrified that we thought we we're gonna have to do the autopsy in the holding area and lock the other two hippos out. I don't. I still to this day cannot figure out how they figured out the angles to get her through those tiny doors. Yeah, I had no idea how we were gonna get her out of this. I was like, wait, usually we could just go in with a bobcat or whatever and, and get them out, but the way this barn is set up, we cannot do that. So yeah, I was amazed that she fit that door, but. Uh, and then getting to go down and see like the necropsy, that was like both her, well, Johari was the first one, but those were my like mm-hmm. first like large animal necropsies. Yeah. And while it was very sad, it was also really cool to be able to, to learn from all those guys. I actually saw, uh, uh, I don't even know if he's still there, but I saw Dr. Darren in passing uh, at the conference. Like I was going up at the, there was an AZA conference in San Diego uh, this, this past weekend, mm-hmm. uh, this past week. And uh, I was doing a volunteer shift uh, for a room monitor for some polar bear talks. And, uh, I was going up the escalator at the convention center and Darren was coming down. I was like, Hey, and I was like, Hey, we should meet up in a little while. And then we never found each other. Unfortunately. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I, re- I really missed that zoo. I liked it quite a bit. Pro- maybe, uh, maybe my, uh, I can't say it's more, more favorite than the one I work at now. Cause, uh, <laughs> that's bad for business, but, uh, it was definitely a, a cl- very close second. Uh, in terms of my favorite places that I worked at, so yeah, they just uh, have a that. great collection of animals and really dedicated keepers there. Oh, the people there are just so great, all of them. Like I, I really miss working with Nora and Katie and uh, Carolyn and all those guys. So yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully someday one of them will be on on the on the podcast. They've all said they would be, but uh, well, even even aside from the keepers, like I guess you call them support staff, the uh, the grounds and facilities and oh, the exhibits yeah. guys, like. They went out of their way to help us out all the time. Like when yeah. we when we had to put the giraffe Johari down, they built a special skiff to put him on so he wouldn't like flop out of it because you know they're so gangly. They yeah, just that, did that without asking. They just went for it and got it done in like three days. It was this they, huge welded platform that he just tucked in there. Yeah, they were they were they were awesome. They were some of the most inventive exhibit crew I've ever worked with for sure. Uh, and just everybody there was just. Like great. I, I mean, I, I'm someone who uh, I'll just say, like, I, I I often don't like a lot of a lot of people. Like, 
<laughs> like I don't like to go to the mall because I, I don't like people for the most part. But like mm-hmm. uh, at that zoo, like one per like maybe one person out of everyone that I met there, like I that I didn't get along with. So uh, I, I I miss it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, so two years there, this is primary giraffes, uh, and then you got married. Yeah. Oh man, that was the craziest month of my life. So uh, my wife and I both, our last days of work were July 11th, 2015. We got married on July 13th. Sorry, not 15, uh, 2013. I hope she doesn't hear that. <laughs> uh, we got married on July 13th, 2013. Left for our money honeymoon on the morning of the 15th after the moving truck had, truck had packed up all our stuff. We went down to Costa Rica for two weeks, flew back to Seattle, picked up the car and the dog and drove out to Ohio where we are now. And I started work on August 5th. It was just one thing right after the other for four weeks. Did you, did you, you didn't have that job lined up when you, when you left. Oh, I did. did Oh, you did. did. Okay. That was the one that was. Okay. I got you. I I was under the impression that you didn't have it because that was the scary part for me. I was like, dang, man, that's a tough situation. Like obviously you got to go with your brilliant, 750 million IQ wife to go to yeah. a PhD program, but man, that's tough uh, to give up your career to do that. But I'm um, so, so good. I'm glad that you had that already set up. Then. Um, so then, so then what did you start? What did you get hired for at Akron uh, to do just like general keeper? Was there a specific role they already had in mind for you? I, w- I was really lucky that the summer we moved here, Akron had just rebuilt or I guess completely built a new section of the zoo with grizzlies, otters, red wolves, coyotes, and eagles. And it was, it was all brand new to the zoo. Like, it wasn't like tearing down an old exhibit and building new stuff for the most part. It oh, was wow. all like brand new areas. And they, they needed keepers with experience. And, uh, I just happened to apply right before they knew they were going to need experienced keepers. So, uh, I got a phone interview and phone interviews. You ever done a phone interview? I have. They're terrifying. Yeah, because you stop talking and then there's like this 30 silence. seconds of silence and you don't know if they want more information or if they're just figuring out what to ask next. Are they totally. covering up the phone and going, wow, he totally just blew that question. Are they, you don't know what's going on on the other end. It's so scary. I, uh, before I went to Woodland Park Zoo, which I don't think I even did a phone. I mean, I talked to Walter for a little bit, uh, but I didn't do an actual interview until I got there. But before that, I had applied at, I think it was Point Defiance Zoo. And the panel, the interview panel on a phone interview, they had seven people. So it was like seven different people talking to me. I don't know which one is saying what. Like, uh, And then, yeah, like lots of silences there, silence at the end of your answer. You're just like, uh, is there another question coming? You want more? So I, I totally agree. Uh, how many did you interview with for uh, the phone interview at uh, Akron then? I interviewed with two collection managers and the HR, so HR person. So that wasn't bad at all. Yeah, yeah. Compared to your seven. <laughs> but still, no, it's still not the best because, like, you don't know how, like, in a like in an in person interview, you can kind of read body language, you know, and be like, oh, they like that, or they didn't like that, or I should give you give them more, or, or whatever. But on the phone, you're just like, I hope that was enough. <laughs> it's like talking to a computer or something. You just can't. You don't know what they're thinking. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. So uh, you have to work with a lot of cool stuff there. Then are you so then are you still in that same role? So I was, uh, so that was a 32 hour a week position. And after a year, a full time position opened up. And then I moved over to where I currently am, which is what they call the Legends of the Wild section of the zoo. 
And we've got uh, a really diverse collection of animals. A lot of it is predator prey right next to each other. We've got Himalayan tar right next to snow leopards and capybara right next to jaguars. We also have condors and alpacas and lemurs and a huge waterfowl pond. Uh, we also take care of the eagles that are up the up in the new area and uh, smaller reptile exhibits throughout scattered throughout that whole area. That's that's so cool. I, I miss having a diverse collection to take care of. Like you know, like I, I've told it on the Strong podcast before, but at San Diego Zoo, mammal keepers take care of mammals. Bird keepers take care of birds. And like I'd like to do a little bit of raptor stuff or you know snakes or whatever, but. Uh, I'm not willing to make that all I do. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't like them. I don't like them that much. So I want like a taste of birds and reptiles, but most of my I want my yeah. bread and butter to be mammals. You know. Yeah, exactly. Like I'd like to fly a raptor to my glove or something, you know. But uh, uh, I'm okay with uh, not taking care of the passerines and songbirds and stuff. I dread taking care of songbirds and passerines because I'm always afraid when I have to catch them up, I will accidentally crush one. Oh my god, me too. And working in the in the aviary at Seattle, like I learned, you had to catch up so much stuff there. Like I learned I wasn't going to, but now that I don't do that all the time, I've gotten back to that fear of like breaking somebody. But st- still, like, I mean, you, it just feels like you're going to do, it, especially when you're a, like a taller guy. Like uh, mm-hmm. we have a. I actually just learned the other day uh, in our shipping pens area, we have uh, a couple of royal antelopes, which are the smallest antelopes. Are like I don't even know, like not very big, like. I could hold one in my hand, basically, and it wouldn't go be much bigger than my hand. Uh, but anyway, I guess we have the only two in the country now, which are these two. So every time I go in that tent, because they're flighty as all hell, like you take a step and they're like bouncing off the walls. So I'm always terrified I'm going to like step on the last royal antelope in the country or something <laughs> <laughs> and, be, and be that guy. Uh, so crazy. In the future, they'll pinpoint the, the minute that species went extinct. And it's one. Oh, that- yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the day that Matt stepped on it, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, that would be me, too, because I'm not the most graceful of individuals. <laughs> uh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to ask you about. So I don't really want to get into uh, Harambe because he's everywhere. Everybody's been talking to death about it. We've talked about it a few times in the podcast. But I, was, I guess I was curious if, um, since you're so close to that area, you know, I know you're not in, in, uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, but you're in the same state. So I was wondering, is there, was there any like extra kind of, whether it was publicity or like safety training or like any kind of emphasis that your zoo kind of put on that situation? We, you know, every AZA zoo does at least one animal escape trail a year as part of accreditation. Uh, we did one like the next week that wasn't, I don't, I don't, as far as I could tell, hadn't been planned for the next week, but I think they just moved it up in the schedule just to get everybody kind of feeling more confident in what they need to do sure uh we had like some talking points to go up or ever comes up but i think uh it's really interesting going from seattle to ohio or seattle you do have i wouldn't say a lot but a decent amount of pushback against zoos yeah. to come into akron ohio where they love the zoo and i only heard of one keeper having any kind of remotely negative interaction after the whole rambe thing that's really here great. in Seattle, but they yeah. they did a decent job prepping us with with talking points. And of course, you know you learn what you can and cannot say, of to, course, to a guest as your as your keeper over the first like, probably in the first year. At the end of that year, you know where you can stretch into and where you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Where uh, you stepped in it, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, 
I when I was uh, more involved at Polar, it's like it was almost a, for a while there it was like almost an everyday conversation. I guess wanted to talk about blackfish, and I was like, uh, I don't really want to. <laughs> uh, goodness. Well, uh, so why don't we? Uh, I do have. I was telling you before we started recording. I do have a game I wanted to try. I have no idea how it's going to go. Uh, if it's going to be fun or not. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and get into your funny or embarrassing animal story. Yeah, I uh, I'm planning this one out. I'm sure everybody does now. <laughs> yeah. So Seattle has a a pretty nice savanna exhibit. Um, it's kind of like small rolling hills, and there are zebra and giraffe, ostriches, gazelles, and oryx out there. Although I think they have um, Gemsbach now instead of the oryx. Anyway, so imagine this really nice exhibit. There's like a like a African schoolroom you stand in and you look out over the exhibit and right underneath the schoolroom there's a waterfowl pond. So in the summer it's gorgeous. In the winter it is cold and wet and muddy and uh, not the funnest place to be in the world that's for sure. And there was a lot of uh, oak trees around the exhibit and in Seattle because it doesn't because it does get cold in the winter the tannins build up in the oak leaves so the giraffes can't eat those. Cause become toxic after a while so you have to right. rake up all the oak leaves and next to the waterfowl pond there's a hill and kind of behind the hill there's a little safe area for those waterfowl to go in case like one of the zebras starts getting crazy and i was raking the leaves out of that area and i'd filled up a wheelbarrow and i was walking by the waterfowl pond between the hill and the waterfowl pond pushing the wheelbarrow out and i hit a rock and i started to fall backwards and I, for a split second, I, I pulled myself upright with the wheelbarrow until the wheelbarrow broke loose and started falling back with me. As I'm falling back, I realize there's no, no point of return here. So I jump into the pool because I was falling into it anyway. And the wheelbarrow full of leaves comes in with me. <laughs> it's so, the uh, middle of winter, so it's probably oh 38 degrees and really wet. And you didn't bring any backup clothing because you said you didn't. You yeah, because I'm not that smart. <laughs> so uh, I hop out of the pool and I look up and there is a group of kids just sitting there watching me, snickering at me, trying not to point and laugh, fortunately. Their teacher was trying to calm them all down. But that was that was a very cold and wet and embarrassing moment. Oh my! So uh, I have to ask you then, since you probably know, how deep is that pond? I always wondered. Well, I'm over six feet tall and it was well above my belly button oh wow That's i don't know beautiful. how my phone and my radio didn't get ruined i must have hopped out quick enough Seriously. Wow. so That's i had to go that was part one part two was going oh. down to the commissary and digging through stacks of old uniforms trying to find some pants that would fit me <laughs> uh because since you 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 were one of, if not the tallest keeper at the zoo. I'm sure that was pretty easy to find then, huh? They were very short and very tight and uh, very old and worn pretty thin in certain areas. So you were wearing capris, basically? Basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think you can get away with that look. No. I don't, I don't have a man bun to go with them, so I guess I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard, uh, we're totally off the rails now, but, uh, and this is not relating to zookeeper at all, but have you heard there's a guy... Uh, there was a story, I don't even know how long ago, but I read something or saw something about a guy that, like, is a prank. He was running around, like, with a pair of scissors, and every, like, dude with a man bun, he would just go by and cut off the bun part and then run away. <laughs> how funny is that? That uh, guy's awesome. That guy's my hero. 
Uh, all right, well, let's try, uh, let me pull out uh, my little sound effects here. But we're going to try out a game now. Uh, I don't really have a name for it yet, so if anybody has a suggestion uh, better than name that animal, uh, feel free to, to throw it out there in comments or whatever. Um, but uh, I'm going to play some animal sounds for Matthew Mills here, and uh, we're going to see if he can guess the animal that it is. Ready for this? I hope so. All right. I'll try not to embarrass you too much. We're going to start off with a softball, though. So if you don't get this one, then this could go pretty badly. <laughs> Might be the end of the show. All right. So I'm going to play hit play now. Tell me if you're having issues hearing it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got it. Well, that's a lion. Oh, I don't even got to play the whole thing. You got it. That is a male lion. That is Mbari. Uh, our male lion at the San Diego Zoo, uh, roaring every morning. I, 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 for a long time, I've wanted to like catch it and set his roar as my ringtone because he is. I don't know if he's louder than other lions. He's louder than any other lion I've heard. Like the the walls will, like the windows will vibrate when he gets really going. So well, for the longest time, I wanted to catch it and set it as my ringtone. And like by the time I would always get out and get my phone out and get ready to record, he would stop. Of course. Yeah. So finally, this one morning, I caught it, and I was like, I bet I could do some kind of game with this. So I'm glad that worked out. All right, so got uh, one for one so far. Ready for number two? Yeah. Here we go. I know that sound. What is that? Is that a jaguar? That was a jaguar! Look at this stud right here. Two for two. It was like the snort as they breathe in that gave it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I got... Uh, this one is going to be tough. I think the last two are going to be tough. So uh, this, these are going to be a challenge. Here we go. That's a tough one. Yeah, is that an alligator or a crocodile? No, but uh, that's a good. Uh, I, I know, I know what exactly the sound you're thinking of, and that's pretty that cool. Low it's rump. actually a Eurasian lynx. Okay. Like right before feeding, like he likes to come up and whatever, make that noise, whatever he is. All like both of the males that we have do that. I've never heard any other cats. Like almost like a chuff, but not quite. Uh, it's weird. I've, anyway, I didn't know. Yeah, I've, I've worked with North American lynx. I've never heard a sound like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I got one more. Uh, this one, this one might be tough too. And I, I, I don't think I could get this one for sure unless I, or I work with it and know what it is. So here we go. This one I'll have to play it multiple times because it's just one little sound. Is that a fennec fox? Ah, close. It is a fox, but it's an arctic fox. Oh, okay. Nice work, dude. Terrible. Uh, that's uh, yeah, uh, three out of four basically. So that's that's really good. That's better than uh, I'm pretty sure I would do. So that's well, a anyway, fun game. I really like. Yeah, those. I gotta I gotta get more of those. Uh, I try to. I guess I'll try to like uh, you know, gear it towards the keeper and what I've known they work with. But uh, that's really fun. I uh, I should uh, have uh, the bird keepers back on because there's obviously a million bird calls. Oh man, uh, so that might be a fun game. Well, thanks for uh, experimenting with me there. Uh, see if that worked. Hopefully, you guys listening. Hopefully, that was fun to listen to, and uh, maybe we'll try it again some other time. Uh, all right. So, uh, 
about ready to wrap up here. Uh, I guess the last thing I always like to ask my guests is, or not really ask them, just, you know, if there's anything specifically you want to talk about in the zoo industry, something cool you're doing with your animals, maybe something you're doing with the Kazak, just kind of like give you the floor here at the end. And, uh, you know, if there's anything, really anything you want to talk about, get off your chest or whatever here at the end. Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this for a bit. I was trying to think of something nobody's talked about before. And I was just thinking, uh, you know, you're around your coworkers all the time. Like, you don't really have that many people you work with on a regular basis. Like, you might have a big zoo, but your your team's probably, like, seven, five to eight people. Those people you see all the time, like, basically, they become your family at work. And uh, those are the people you got to learn to get along with somehow or another. I mean, there's always somebody that drives you crazy. But those that's that's the one thing you you can really affect in your job um like if you're gonna quit a job, there's three reasons to do it you don't like what you're doing, and as a zookeeper, if you're a full time zookeeper or even getting into the field, you have a pretty good idea what you're gonna be doing in life like if you're in it, you know what you're doing you're gonna like it uh the management you're gonna disagree with from time to time, but just pick your battles like it's it's not worth getting all upset about so the only thing you can really adjust as far as work life is how you interact with your coworkers. So my advice to anybody entering the field would just be find a way to get along with people as best as you can. Um, I know coming from zoos with either smaller teams or smaller zoos, there's this habit to gossip and tell tales and get all worked up about stuff. But I think as a, as a new keeper, the best thing you can do is try to not to get into that cycle and just try to get along with everybody you work with. I totally agree, and that's really a good lesson for me, too, because there are definitely people that I have trouble getting along with, and uh, I need to keep that in mind because you're right. You see them every day. They're like your work family. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you really got to – you do really do. Like, it'll – and even if you don't, you know, personally like the person, you know, find a way to get along with them at least professionally because that's going to make – it's going to make your life better, really. I mean, it's going to make you, you know, instead of getting mad about something, you just – you learn how to deal with it instead. So that's really good advice. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, if you come in as a temp keeper, you may think you're doing great with the managers, but those other keepers don't like you, that manager's going to know that you're not going to work out. Like, you've got to make oh, all those other keepers your friend one way or another. That is a great point because uh, I have definitely seen, just in my time at San Diego, I have definitely seen, uh, we have a loan program here where people from other departments, like if we have a, a need to fill, role to fill, like they can come over from buses or education or whatever and be a keeper for three to six months. Uh, whatever the time frame is, and I've definitely seen seen keepers that have been have been very good at the job, but for whatever reason don't get along with somebody else, and th- that ultimately it comes out like that's why they didn't get hired. So yeah. uh, that's a really great point and great advice. So uh, thanks for doing that, Matt. Yeah. I appreciate it, uh, and thanks so much for coming on the show today. I uh, hope you had fun, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, everybody listening learned something today about zookeeping, and we'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Zookeeper Stories podcast. I hope you learned something about zookeeping and had a few laughs along the way. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. It really helps me to grow the show and continue to improve. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can send an email to zookeeperstories at gmail.com or tweet me at zookeeperstory. 